Um, so to give you an introduction to, I'll tell you a little bit about Alan first. Well, we are extremely lucky to have Dr. Alan Watkinson with us this morning. Um, and he's very generously given his time and shared his knowledge on many occasions for Educate Plus. Um, he also received the Trevor Whitney Award in 2010 for his significant contributions um, by mentoring and giving generously of his time and expertise. He's worked in education for his entire career and has a long list of amazing experience, which I could spend the whole webinar talking about. Uh, but briefly, um, his role in Scottish College spanned over 17 years and he was the Director of Development and Advancement at Scotch, Trinity College, the University of Melbourne and the Melbourne Business School. Um, he was also the Director of Alumni, Alumni and Advancement at La Trobe University and then moved to the role of Chief Advancement Officer. He's a former Chairman of Educate Plus and has presented widely on advancement um, and currently is a consultant with Marks and Lundy. Uh, Penny is the Alumni and Relations Development Manager at Turek College and she's an experienced uh, manager who joined Turek in 2016 as the school's first ever appointed person in a development role, moving from her role of Alumni Relations Manager at Halebury. Halebury. <laughs> Uh, Penny has successfully created and implemented a strategic plan to support the school's philanthropic and community relations efforts. And among her many achievements in her role, she's complete, completed the establishment of a Quest Society, run a capital campaign and set up a stewardship programme and many new alumni relation initiatives. So on that note, um, we're very lucky to have Alan and Penny with us. Um, and thank you very much to both of you for uh, agreeing to do this presentation. So over to you guys. Thank you. I'm going to share my screen because we're going to run through mostly um, a presentation-based um, PowerPoint presentation today. So fingers crossed. Uh, let me bring that up now. How are we looking? Looking good, Penny. Yeah. Great. All right, well, <clears throat> welcome everyone. And thank you for that introduction, Sheila, and for facilitating this today. Um, I hope everyone is managing okay, personally and professionally over the last few months. It's been a really interesting time for us and um, I think it's provided me, whether I liked it or not, with um, an opportunity to really test the strength of the areas that I work across, which for me, as Sheila said, is both alumni relations and development. And I think for all of us, it's been a really great time to review areas of improvement so that we don't just cope through this situation, um, but we really are ready to hit the ground running when the time is right. And Sheila touched on this a little bit, but by way of background, um, I am the first development manager at um, my school, which is an all girls independent school in Mount Eliza on the beautiful Mornington Peninsula. And I've been here in my role for about four years and um, the concept of philanthropy in our community is really quite new. Our school has a really rich history of over 146 years and for most of that time it was a boarding house. So we have a really, a really um, strong network of um, staunch supporters being collegians who absolutely love our school, who really they considered um, it to be their childhood home for a very long time. So I'm really glad that our schools decided to go down the path of um, building a culture of philanthropy at Turak College because um, from my early sense is that people were very excited to be able to um, connect their passion 
with and translate that really into some meaningful impact. So, so far in the last four years, we've successfully run a $1.5 million capital campaign in support of our new science centre, and we are just about to launch our Book Waste Society. But look, when COVID-19 hit, instinctively, I guess I sort of looked for a bit of a point of reference. I, I had these all these great ideas in my mind about how I wanted to execute things. Um, but I, I, when so much change hit, I really wanted to look at a roadmap um, of, of where was I on that roadmap in achieving my targets and what did I need to adjust in order to make sure that we stayed on track. Um, what were some of the strengths that I could lean on to get through a difficult time? Where was I most exposed? And when I turned to my strategic plan to try and find these answers, I, I, I didn't get as many as I would have liked. Um, and I think in, in looking back at it, I had a lot of targets in my strategic plan, but I was missing that crucial detail in what steps do I need to take to achieve my goals. And I was lucky enough last year to engage Alan as my professional mentor through Educate Plus. And I contacted Alan because I wondered how many other professionals in our industry were feeling the way that I was feeling. And I said, I think it might be worth running this SIG on um, strategic planning in, in times of crisis, but also in times where we are thriving, making sure that we have a solid plan to stick to. So I'm really pleased to be able to share some of my learnings with you today. Alan and I have workshop strategic planning quite a bit um, in preparation for this SIG, and um, I certainly have a lot of learnings to share with you, so I'm looking forward to that. But enough about me, uh, let's, let's get to it. Alan, when we put this presentation together, came across this um, quite humorous cartoon, which I've discovered throughout my revised planning stage is absolutely spot on. It shows a team getting together and they're planning for planning and going around in circles and circles. And I think this is a really easy trap to fall into with strategic planning. It's really all about keeping your eye on the prize. And what you wanna come out with at the end of this process is making sure that what you have is a really practical, useful tool for you to use. And we're gonna dive into aspects um, today that you should be focusing on. And we're gonna break it down for you so that you have a really clear way forward. So why do we want a strategic plan? A plan really it helps us to do a better job by helping us to be intentional about priorities and proactive in monitoring, motivating others to achieve them. The primary purpose really of a strategic plan is to connect an organisation's mission and vision by addressing three questions. What is our purpose, being our mission? What do we want to achieve, being our vision? And how do we want to get there, being our plan? And having a really articulated mission and vision enables us um, to develop a strategic plan that is really a literal roadmap for success. And it should always, as I've discovered, be a consultative process and take into account um, what the priorities of the school are and how does the development office um, support the school in achieving their priorities. And as I've learned, it's not, that's not really a question that one development manager can answer on their own. It needs to be workshopped with key stakeholders within the, the school. And I've found that by doing that, um, by having as many relevant stakeholders involved, 
um, I was able to um, foster a lot of buy-in into, into my uh, development strategic plan. And it actually really helped with a lot of uh, cultural uh, transformation amongst the leadership team and the board as well. Understanding the priorities and understanding what it is you need to achieve helps leaders to set goals and make decisions. And a strategic plan also ensures that staff are working towards the same goals, i.e. are we doing the right things in the right way? And really, if you don't have this detailed plan, you, or especially if you're in a team, can end up feeling a bit like you're wandering around um, with your direction changing constantly. So a strategic plan should be written down with clear assignments, due dates and deliverables so that everyone knows exactly what must be sort of executed and by what date. And we'll look at some templates for this later on in our presentation. It helps us to manage expectation around goals and performance, both upwards and across the office. And I think this is especially relevant if you are in a team of more than just one. Having staff involved in the strategic planning process regularly referring back to it not only sort of ensures that everyone's on the same page and um, that day-to-day -day decisions are being made in the best interest of the plan, but sharing your plan with your school's leadership team helps to manage expectations upwards as well. And it helps them to understand what you are doing. And I think it really reduces the risk of having unreasonable expectations placed upon you. In going through the revision process of my strategic plan, I've realised that there are so many benefits in undertaking this exercise. Uh, increased effectiveness, um, having a plan really to stick to means that your day-to-day -day operations are being carried out in line with the plan. You know what your actions are, what your output should be, and you become a lot more effective because you're following the documented steps to success. Increased efficiency, once you know what it is that you need to prioritise and focus on, that mental load is really lifted and you've got a clear way forward, there's no guesswork involved on a day-to-day -day basis. Improved understanding, better understanding of what the board want, what the executive want, of what it is that we're trying to achieve. Better decision making. When you, We're always often faced with having to make difficult decisions, but if you can go back to your strategic plan when you're making those decisions, you can simply ask the question, how does this decision help me achieve my vision and my vision and my mission? Enhanced capabilities, a clearer understanding of roles and responsibilities really fosters teamwork and um, it, it, it relates to an increased output. Improved communications, knowing your priorities and your goals helps to eliminate all sorts of misunderstandings and miscommunications. And also a better use of resource, a strategic plan I think should take into account everyone's strengths and allow for tasks to be allocated to those who have the skills to carry them out. So I'm going to hand over to Alan now and we can start breaking down what the steps are that are involved in strategic planning. And I'll um, head over to you, Alan. Thank you. Thanks very much, Penny. And can I extend my own welcome to everybody as well? It's great to have you here. And like Penny, I hope you've all been coping well under these very, very challenging circumstances. One of the things I think it's very important to remember about strategic planning is that having a strategic plan is fantastic, but it's not the be all and the end all of everything. The plan itself is part of a process. 
And if you look at the slide here, you can see that we've got the seven stages which are laid out in front of you. And each of those stages is incredibly important as we move forward. And while you may have slightly different terms here and there about them, if you can look at all of these and if you can tick them off as you go along, they actually help you then to get to the strategic plan itself. But the most important thing about having a strategic plan is how you then implement it. Otherwise, you just end up, as Penny said, going round and round in circles. So it's just part of a longer term process, a very important stage by stage process. And the final activity there of the action plans is what we will end up doing, I hope, by the end of this session, um, talking about what I do next to make sure everything is working. Could I have the next slide, please? So let's start with the vision statement. I've taken four vision statements from schools. These are just available on the website, so it's pretty easy to do. And of course, the most important thing to remember here is that this is about, a vision is about a dream. It's what you think your school should be able to do, what it aims to do, what its great vision and dream is, bearing in mind also that it's got to be couched in reality. And what the first thing is you should be doing, I think, is making sure that your school has a vision. I'm sure you're all perfectly well aware of it. Um, become very familiar with it and use that as the background for what you can then develop within your office. So I'm not going to read all of these. Uh, the slides will be up on the website later on and you can check to see how your school vision may compare with these. But these are all perfectly standard, sensible, good, visions for any school. Can I have the next one please, Penny? And that leads us to the mission statement about how you actually get to do the things you want to do in order to fulfill the mission, it's, uh, the vision itself. And so this has, again, as a, uh, as a school basis, these are all taken from perhaps different schools on this occasion. And you'll see that the mission is actually linked to the vision, staff well-being, educational opportunity and so on, but they begin to talk about the how. Um, this, uh, in the second one down, we're committed to creating a holistic learning uh, community. This entails providing a balanced, well-rounded education and so on. So it begins to talk about what we're going to do in order to fulfill the vision, the dream. So this is the reality of what we're looking at. And the next one, please, Penny. Now, Penny has been very, very generous and kind and exposed herself and her office and given us her office vision. Because the office vision, what you do in your advancement or development office, has got to be related to and derived from what the school vision is. So I think this one here um, is a very strong, powerful, statement of what Penny's office is doing, bringing the community together and raising support for the school. In other words, it is going to be supporting the long-term security and the best educational experience. Those are two key criteria. And if you think about your office, it's not just about what I'll talk about later, outputs and throughputs and so on, but it's how the office is actually being used to support what the school's vision is. And on the next slide, please, Penny, what the school's mission is. 
And again, Penny has been very kind, very generous in sharing her office mission here. So let's just read this one because it's nice and short. The Turak College Development Office aims to engage with all members of the school community, very, very important inclusiveness, to build support through communicating, again, enormously important facet about communication, communicating the importance and benefits of developing a strong culture of philanthropy. And I dare say that most of us, most of you, will have that strong culture of philanthropy as one of the key aspects of what you are trying to do. Now, also, I think this is important, the next sentence, because Penny is beginning to talk also about the process of what we do. So we celebrate our supporters through a variety of ways to ensure donors and volunteers are recognized and understand the impact of their generosity. So if you were to unpack that, you would see a whole range of really specific activities which support the vision of the office and both of these together, the vision and the mission of the office, support what the school has as its own vision and mission. So very, very strong indeed. Um, and so if we can move on, please, Penny. The uh, next thing we talk about are the values. Again, this is just taken from a school on, on, uh, on a website, and I've deliberately not named schools, um, but they're all very good, successful schools. And the values which we have for the school, I think it's very, very important to, to see what they are. And hopefully schools have actually got these printed somewhere or on the website so that everybody in the school, whether it's on the academic side, the administrative side, whether it's in the development and advancement office, wherever it might be, everybody understands what the school values are and they can articulate them and they live them in the office themselves. If one can't live by the values of the school, then it's almost impossible to do your job in a meaningful way because you would be at odds with what the school is trying to achieve. So this one, they have the four, learning effort, responsibility and community. You will see various things um, which appear in there, which you can probably identify uh, with your own school or your own office. And one of the things I'm sure you would come, uh, come up with would be mutual respect, responsibility, sometimes there'll be accountability, and you might even get to words like kindness, understanding and compassion, which would come up. And if we then have another, another look at what Penny has come up with for her office, please, Penny, the next one. Again, very generous. Thank you, Penny, for sharing all of these. Um, and I think we've got a couple of really key words in the first sentence, cooperatively and collegially. Because an office cannot be effective and live by the values of the school if it sits outside the school. So work done within a development or advancement office has to be internally collegiate, so all members of the office work together. It also has to link in with the rest of the school so that it is, it is deliberately and articulately working with the school to achieve mutual goals and it's working cooperatively. So those are really key terms. 
And the other ones which I really like here, Penny, that you've done a great job on this, let me tell you. Um, I think those values of integrity, honesty, and the high standards of ethical conduct. These are fundamental to an office. They're fundamental to a school, of course, but particularly I feel in a development advancement office, when we're dealing with people who are voluntarily giving their time, their experience, their knowledge, and their wealth, these qualities of honesty, one might have transparency as well, but integrity and ethical conduct absolutely underpin everything we do. So those are a very, very quick run through of vision, mission, and values. And I think I now would like to pass across to Penny again, because she's going to have a look at what was next on our list of activities, uh, which is doing a SWOT analysis. So over to you for this one, Penny. Thanks, Alan. So yeah, I think after you have established your vision, mission and values, the next really valuable step to take is to undertake a SWOT analysis because I think it helps you to create context when you're pulling your plan together. And I mean, obviously it helps us to address our weaknesses, defer threats, capitalise on opportunities and take advantage of our strengths. And what I realised when I was undertaking my SWOT analysis was that a lot of my weaknesses were also my opportunities. So, for example, a weakness of ours might be that we have no known bequesters at our school, no bequest pro program, but what a wonderful opportunity to establish a bequest society. So there are some examples up here on the screen of some strengths, opportunities, weaknesses and threats. Threats might be something that you feel are out of your control, but it's good to be aware of them when you're pulling together your plan to help mitigate risks as much as possible. And Alan picked up on a really interesting one when we were workshopping this, um, which is quite relevant to a lot of schools at the moment. And that's that last stop point up on the threats um, list there, which is school DGR status could be compromised if we do the wrong thing. I know a lot of schools at the moment are looking at going down uh, the track of fundraising for tax deductible hardship funds or bursaries, but just ensure that you're being absolutely squeaky clean when it comes to adhering to the rules and regulations around having a DGR status and don't leave yourself exposed. You need to look into the, uh, to incorporate fixes um, into your plan uh, in relation to your weaknesses and agree how are you going to tackle those core issues um, and you'll need to prioritise those as well. You can use possibly your documented strengths to help you um, overcome your weaknesses. And I was actually able to learn about some of our school's weaknesses through feedback that came out of a feasibility study that Anne Badger from Marts and Lundy undertook for me a couple of years ago. As I said, we were quite new to philanthropy, so um, and interviewed about 30 um, people within our community as part of a feasibility study. And through those one-on-one -on -one discussions, she was able to draw out a lot of valuable information from people on what misunderstandings they might have about some aspects of the school, what they wanted more of. And so um, we came up with a, a list of things that we possibly needed to work on. And I've just put an example in, in on this page here. 
uh, I, I Anne came up with a whole list of recommendations and I was able to break them down into about six or seven key themes. And I've just put one key theme up here on the screen. Um, this particular one was about communicating with our community. I definitely felt there was some areas of improvement in terms of our communications. So I put together a bit of a roadmap that we worked through um, over six months or so to try and overcome some of our weaknesses. And um, I detailed what, what I thought the fix was or could be and how high or low was that priority and who else in the school was going to be involved in, in um, executing the work that was involved in overcoming those weaknesses. And I also put together a little bit of a Gantt chart that was tacked onto that um, so we could hold ourselves to a, a timeline um, in executing those fixes as well. So a good SWOT analysis will, when you're writing your plan, help you to shape your broader long-term goals. And it, it'll pick up on the importance of what I sort of refer to as holistic planning, incorporating all the many different aspects of strategy that will lead you to successfully achieving your goals. So some of those things are up on this a screen here. Take a look at your organisational structure, your office structure, staffing, relationships with the school, programmatic, ask yourself, where do I want the fundraising pro programs to be? Are you gonna focus on bequests um, or are you gonna go really hard on annual giving um, and enhance that program? Uh, do you have a campaign coming up? And what are your financials? What are your baselines for each activity? What do you wanna achieve, achieve with your financials in the next two or three years? Um, and how does that translate in percentages? You might want to have a look at some of your communications. Um, when I started here, I did a really thorough review of all our communications and um, established where I wanted to enhance a lot of those communications and looked at the purpose of each of those communications as well. Having a look at your internal operations is crucial, reviewing your, your database and cleansing that, making sure all your, all your policies are up to date and speak and span and, um, what are your pledge reminders looking like, um, stewardship, naming right criteria, um, all that sort of thing needs to be incorporated in the plan as well and your SWOT analysis will help you to determine those longer term goals. But before I hand over to Alan um, to talk about actually writing the plan, I think it's really important to remember that before you rush into creating a new plan or revising a plan, just remember not to forget the work that's gone on prior to writing a new or, or revision or revised plan. If you have an existing plan, review it. Um, there's probably a lot of things in there that have been working that you can build on. Um, there may be some things in there that you think, no, that, that did not work. We need to get rid of that completely. Or some of them were nearly on the mark, but we need to perhaps look at just revising them a little bit so you can really hone in on your goals. So I'm going to hand back over to Alan, who's going to walk us through how we actually write the plan. Thanks again, Penny. Um, and just to reinforce what Penny said about the last slide, um, most of uh, us in schools will have done, if not full strategic plans, we will have done annual plans, we would have had various uh, programs running, and they should all be reviewed every now and then in any case, but particularly at the moment, because over the last six months, 
with droughts, with the appalling bushfires and the toll they have, they have taken, and also the COVID-19 pandemic, it's thrown a lot of what we've done in the past right up in the air. And so it is the opportunity to have a really good forensic look at all of the programs we've been running to see how good they are, whether they need adaptation or anything else. Um, and so, yep, I think it's important that we review what's happened before and then we bring it all together and we need to write the plan. And you'll notice that what we've done here is actually to divide the writing part into two sections. The first one is the overarching written plan. If you like, this could be your ultimate strategy. So we identify the goals and what we need to do to reach them and so on. Um, at the moment, if you are reviewing what is happening and reviewing your strategic plan and thinking about what happens between now and the end of the year and what you might be thinking about for next year, you could actually rephrase the first and the last dot points in the first section there about you know, what are the goals for the future? Let's say, what are our current goals as they exist up until the end of this year? Are they still relevant? Do they need to be adjusted? And if so, how and why? And do we have to consider different or new milestones in that approach as well? If you had a plan in place from the beginning of the year, I would be fairly certain that that could not be 100% current now. So it's the opportunity to reassess, readjust, use facts, use data, use whatever research you can to have a genuine strong underpinning for the revision of what you're doing. So if you can write the plan and the overarching goals, activities, and even talk about how we're going to do them and how we measure them in general terms, then you need to actually write probably something just as, if not more important, which is the implementation plan. Uh, we started off by saying, be careful what you wish for with a strategic plan. And it is so important, as I said earlier, to make sure you can implement it. And this implementation is gonna be very important. So what has to be done and who's gonna do it? And then how does that all happen when and so on? So Penny, if you could turn to the next slide, please. The SMART goals will not be anything new to any of us, I'm sure. Uh, but I've put it up there simply to remind us about the specificity of what we do. It's easy to just talk in general terms, but if we're really trying to implement a strategic plan, we must be smart. And that little adage, I think I have lived by that for so long now uh, in my career, that if I couldn't write it down, I reckoned it couldn't be done easy to waffle about things but when you come to write it it makes you focus and crystallize your ideas and then as we often know if we don't write things down they don't get done because we don't refer back to them so make this an absolute uh, an absolute given for yourself write it down and then you can follow it thank you penny so just looking at what we're doing at the moment, um, I'm sure that most schools have got at least some of these particular actions going on. And 
if you haven't, it may be a particularly good chance, for example, to think about establishing or boosting your bequests program. There is absolutely no doubt, and you would have seen some of the information which we have been sending out from Marks and Lundy over the last two to three months about the importance of stewardship and good communication uh, with all members of your community. So we've broken it down into these headings, and for each of those, you should be able to write an action plan. So what are you actually doing for the annual giving? Who's doing it? When is it happening? What are the actions that you're going to be putting into the annual giving program and so on, if you're still running it this year? Because that may be one of the ones which you review. And I know a number of schools have decided not to go forward with a major annual giving campaign this year for very good reasons. So you may consider that major gifts are being suspended or eased back a little bit this year because of the, the different impacts of the various crises. But what does that therefore mean in terms of what you're doing this year and what your plans are and when they happen and who's doing what? So for each of these areas, you should be able to write an action plan. Thanks, Penny. Um, and so just looking, take that one step further, um, under each of those headings, you might be asking some of these questions. Um, and I've added a couple of more in there, a couple more ideas, because um, if you've got more than one or two people in your office and you're the development manager or director, you have to factor in such things as performance reviews, or at least you should be, um, because this is a collegial activity and a collaborative activity. And so making sure that everybody in the office understands what's going on and is working together is incredibly important and everybody needs to be pulling his or her weight. Um, don't forget some of these really important, what I call housekeeping matters, such as reviewing all of your current donors and prospects in move management. It's no good just having them there, but they do need to be reviewed. And if nothing's happened with these people, over a period of time, maybe during the last quarter, need to review those with whoever is responsible for them and say, what happens next? What's your immediate plan for this person over the next quarter? So these things become part of your action plan. And I put a date there of the 1st of November, 2020, to write your own personal plan for next year. You may think that's a little bit early, but it's rather like, I suppose, writing a will. Um, you need to get it into place first, then you can add the codicils later if things change. But it would be really significant for you to sit down, have some time to think about what your personal responsibilities are going to be and how you're going to do them. Get those done by November. If things change again, you can alter them, but have your template. And Penny, the next slide, I think, should be showing some things. And I base this upon a bit of my own experience um, in my different roles in different places. But again, it's easy to not do things if you don't write them down. So to say something like, I will make 25 personal calls to prospects and donors during the next quarter, 
and then you can track yourself against that. So each of these I would see as smart goals. They're not overstretching, but they stretch a little bit. Um, you'd see there, they're effectively 50, 50 calls to donors or stewardship calls. Out of those, I'm saying I would expect to make 10 asks over a quarter. And so they are measurable, they are attainable, they're within a time frame, and so on. So they become good, smart goals, and I can then report against them for myself. And if I have this for myself, then each of my team will have similar kinds of personal action plans, which they can report against as well. And it means that we can all see how we're doing. And Penny, if you could do the next one, please. This is, this is one of my favorite little bits and pieces because we, and I've seen this so many times over so many years um, in so many different institutions, that the, the reports that go to boards and to foundations and to committees and so on, they often talk about the busyness. We are going to have more alumni group meetings. We are going to have additional reunions we're going to do blah 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 all of which is business it's just busyness but what i think is important is to think about the outputs and sometimes you might call them throughputs as well outputs and outcomes and the example i've given here the measurable outputs are what you actually going to achieve we this one is about annual giving we want to have an increase in the number of donors, an increase in the amount of money raised, and so on and so forth. That's, that's very straightforward, and those are measurable outputs. You might say the same about a, you know, a, a wonderful multi-year program to raise money for, through different channels, such as annual giving, major gifts, bequests, um, functions, and so on, to raise money to build a new dining hall, is the dining hall the outcome or is that an output or is the improved experience for all students and staff being able to sit in a civilized environment and socialize and have lunch together is that the outcome and i'd suggest it's more that one and the same with the example i've given here about annual giving programs the outcomes are actually what changes lives what changes you have been able to achieve through doing the various activities. And it's good to try and separate those. It's a bit like the strategic plan. The ultimate goal is to, and in order to do that, we have to go through these various stages of outputs. So I think that's an important one to remember, particularly when you're reporting, to make sure that you can show what the actual impact is of all of the activities that you're doing. Now I'm going to, I think, now turn back to Penny, who will talk about how you can measure some of these strategic goals and these SMART goals. Thank you, Alan. I think if you're going to go to all this effort to um, put in place a plan, and, and as with anything worthwhile doing in life, especially when there are lots of moving parts involved, it's really important to step back regularly and assess your effectiveness and your personal 
action plan is is something that you can be monitoring for your own progress only if and i think if you aren't reaching your targets you need to ask yourself why is it simply because you are time poor um, have they not been as effective as you might have hoped do you not like doing those tasks you can make adjustments to your personal action plan but I think there really needs to be a concrete and justifiable reason as to why you are making these adjustments. You can review your quarterly targets and report on how you're tracking against them. And if you aren't meeting your targets, which you had originally deemed as being achievable, again, you need to ask yourself why. Is it the execution of your personal action plan that is possibly um, you know, affecting your quarterly targets? And I think after six months of executing a strategy, undertaking a full review of your programs to assess their effectiveness is really important. Um, and these findings are good to share with your team or your leadership team. And um, again, looking at if targets aren't being met, why is this? Perhaps there are some weaknesses that um, you missed originally that haven't been identified that still need to be overcome. There could be new weaknesses that have popped up but you need to find out how you can get back on track and also ask yourself what has been working well and think about uh, why you are going well in these areas. Maybe you've managed to create the perfect formula for success that you can continue to build on and roll out in future. So to help with this, we can create and develop a traffic light system of reporting for each key area, which draws on the information of your database or your CRM. And this system, it identifies progress against targets at quite a high level. So if a traffic light is red or amber, then really I think you need further information um, gathered to sort of identify any causes and perhaps possible interventions. It's a really good visual tool that can very quickly give you, or others, if you're called upon, um, an idea of how you're tracking. And this is one example of a traffic light report. So in this one, we've broken it down by fundraising stream, um, activities being calling or asking, and it shows who in the team is actually on track. So let's look at some other uh, templates that you could use to track progress efficiently and effectively. And let's focus on bequests as an example. So this first template, as an example, is a long-term uh, template that you could use for four year for a four-year overall target tracking template. It, it, it quite simply shows um, what your starting point is and each year how many notified bequests have been achieved, how many bequests are in the pipeline, and how many bequests have been realised. Of course, you can't put a number on how many bequests are going to be realised each year because you don't know how many of your bequesters are going to pass away. So that number will always be an actual number. Hattie, could I just um, hop in very, very briefly Absolutely. for a moment there? Um, people who are very new to bequests might quail at the sort of the, the fact that we've got 35 in there as a baseline. Um, we've made an assumption here that the program had been up and running for a few years and got established. And obviously, if you were just starting from scratch, those numbers would be very, very different. My number's very, very different, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or you could you could look to track bequests like this. This template breaks targets down by quarter, 
and gives us almost a pipeline of moving a prospect through the donor journey from the point of discovery to the point of conversion. The next template here, it shows you how you can track target versus actual stewardship and solicitation actions really in an effort to secure bequests or perhaps nurture those existing bequests. And all these templates will be available after this presentation as well through the Educate Plus website. You could approach a bequest program like this. This template, rather than looking at just target number versus actual number of activities, we've added another layer in here, um, pinpointing exactly who in your team is accountable for allocating those activities and looking after them. So this one's really useful if you're working in a team bigger than one. Over to you, Alan. Thank you. Um, so we're beginning to come to the end of it. And I think it's important because what we've done is to go very quickly through all of this it's uh, and in a webinar um, it is tricky sometimes to cover everything but i think these are some questions which are really important to ask now and particularly given the impact of covid19 the fact that we're now just beginning to come out of it schools are back um, offices i think are now basically getting back into um into their people are getting back into their offices and so on um, people beginning to be alert that things are changing for the better but it doesn't mean that we just go back to what we had last year uh, as I said earlier on I think everything has changed and we have to be alert and nimble to respond to those changes so I would assume here that in most schools the vision and the mission won't have changed and probably the office vision and mission won't have changed but it's worth just verifying those, restating them, because again, it helps you to make sure that you're living by the values, living by the mission, which you have already defined. Timelines will have changed. That's inevitable. Um, but have they changed for everything or are they only changed around certain activities and goals? So go back to review what you've got, what you've been doing, and reallocate your time and resources as you look to the future. And with those programs, as I've said earlier on, some schools have certainly shelved their annual giving for this year in the form that it was last year, and perhaps have gone out to ask for student support, um, you know, support for students who are currently enrolled as a non-tax deductible activity. It's a slightly different activity. It doesn't matter. It's still can be written up and it's still absolutely valid but what has been reduced what has to be cancelled what can be re reshaped and most importantly um, if you're in any part of a campaign what does it mean for your case for support and i've certainly again come across a couple of schools where they have been planning and quite adventurous and uh, aspirational activities over the next five to seven years um, in terms of major building and so on, does that change? Do you need to review your case for support and refocus and reach and change the timelines? I think that's really important for you to consider at the moment. Um, the communication, don't forget internal communication. I think we've been very good in trying to communicate with you, everybody, about 
how you need to communicate externally with your donors and your communities and your supporters, but don't forget the internal communications. It's often forgotten in the busyness of every day. Um, and then I think also if you look at uh, your internal operations with your staff, everybody's been through a pretty tricky time. Um, some people have had really uh, incredibly difficult times through personal circumstances and so on. So I think it's important to work with your staff to try and ensure they're happy coming back, they feel safe, they feel secure uh, and feel well supported because the, the mental well-being of everybody involved in the work that we do is so very, very important. And uh, the last point, I don't know if it, it really shows up on this slide, is um, what tasks that have been put off can be done remotely or carefully now that some of us are allowed back into school to position us for future success. So there have been uh, some parts which we haven't done, some tasks we haven't done, some things we couldn't do, but how can we continue to do those safely? And I think safety becomes a really, really important aspect of what we do now. Penny, I'm gonna hand back to you for, I think the last slide or two. Thank you, Alan. So finally, uh, look, we're all in an industry, luckily, uh, which is quite unique. It allows us to share our experiences with each other and workshop what we have found um, has or has not worked in the past. Uh, so I think in reviewing or revising your strategic plan, think about who in your community you might be able to call upon to share or gain some insights with. There's no need to reinvent the wheel in our industry sometimes um, or undergo trial and error if someone else can fast track you to the end point by sharing their, their learnings with you. For me personally, Alan is my appointed mentor and I cannot tell you how valuable I find his advice. So I would encourage everyone to try and set up a formal mentor through Educate Plus, especially if you're relatively new to this field. But there are many other people in Educate Plus who you can always pick up the phone to and talk through things. And of course, if you're looking to revise or establish a really impactful strategic plan, you can always call in professional philanthropic consultants who are extremely skilled in helping schools set their direction when it comes to successful fundraising. Alan and I are really very happy to chat to anyone in more detail about any aspect of this presentation today. Uh, we do have a little bit of time for Q&A now, so I think I'm probably best to stop sharing my screen. Is that right, Sheila? Yes, yeah, you can do that. And we have a few questions that have come in on the Q&A. Um, and feel free to type in as I'm speaking if anyone has any questions that have uh, occurred to them during the presentation. So um, the first one here is from Tammy and she says, where does your school's marketing strategy fit into your development strategic plan? Penny, would you like to take that one? Um as your sort oh, of hands-on in the school at the moment? Marketing strategy fit into your development strategic plan. Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned earlier in the presentation, um, when I first started here at Turret College, actually, we had a lot of change going on in our schools. So at the same time I started, um, our new principal started, 
and pretty much an entirely new marketing team started as well. So we were all on a very steep learning curve and uh, we did an entire review of our um, marketing strategy. And um, I think the idea of talking about philanthropy in our school had never really been a thing. So now across all sorts of, pretty much every um, platform that our school uses to market the school, they incorporate into their comms. Um, how, it talks a lot about community, how the community coming together to support their school um, has enabled us to do some amazing things. And we can luckily draw on um, one of the major achievements we've made in the last few years, which is the um, Science and Technology Centre, which we've just built. And that really is um, a great demonstration of how powerful a community can be uh, when they all come together. So that's very much a big feature of the school's marketing plan as well. So we work quite closely together to make sure that philanthropy is um, communi communicated to especially our current parents and our existing community. And Pat, if I can just add to that, uh, go back to one of those very early slides uh, around, I think it was your particular school mission, which talked about the collegiality um, and the cooperation. And it's very, very important uh, that a development advancement office works with the other parts of the school. And in marketing and comms, if a school has a separate department, um, then the two areas need to work together very closely to make sure that the messaging is always consistent and the goals of what you're trying to achieve um, align. They're not always going to be the same. Uh, marketing is often about you know, making sure that uh, all of the places are filled uh, and they have very particular ways of doing that. But the messaging around that and the images around that are very important so there is a consistency. And by working together, you can ensure that. Perfect. Okay. Um, Penny, a uh, question for you from Vicky. Well, it's not a question, really. It says, could you please repeat your reference to vision? Um, and I think she also mentioned mission and purpose at the start of slide one. These are three important aspects of strategic planning that are often confused and are overlooked. Always interesting to hear new interpretations. Uh, yeah, I, think, I, I think we actually covered that yeah. in the, the next few slides. So we, okay. we did divide that up into vision and right. mission yeah. and values. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Vicky can always come back to us and say, no, not good enough. Do not more detail. <laughs> okay. Cause I know she would, if she were not happy. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, another question here. What is your advice for getting senior leadership buy-in when they do not value the role of the development office for the school? I think for me, um, in workshopping, as I said, I think collaboration when you're setting a strategic plan is really important. Working with the senior leadership team or the board about all the aspects of the plan, for me, really help them to understand all the bits and pieces that are involved in, in um, fundraising. I think sometimes for uh, board members or, or people in the leadership team who have no experience with fundraising, which is quite often a lot of them, um, you know, there may be this, this idea of, can you, can you go out and, and raise a million dollars? <laughs> but we all know there are so many things that in the lead up to making that happen um, and to keep that momentum going. So I think workshopping a strategic plan with your leadership team 
is really instrumental in, in helping them get buy-in and um, also helps with that cultural transformation as well. But Alan, you've probably worked with alongside leadership teams and boards to, to help um, foster that understanding. Yes, Annie, uh, what you said is absolutely true. Um, you need to get them to buy in first. So asking for advice uh, during your uh, strategic planning phase is really important because they are key stakeholders in all of this. But the other thing which is quite useful to do if, if you can identify it uh, or identify them is to find one or two people uh, who are reasonably good influencers in the senior leadership and work with them specifically to bring them on side so they can begin to influence others. If you, if you feel that you are the only person and you have to go and deal with them en masse every time, it can be quite draining and it's not always as effective as, ha as having somebody else on your side who's already there. So if you take the notion of um, you know, it's a few small steps to talk with a couple of people, get them more on your side so they'll support you with some of the points you put forward, that's also very useful. Perfect. Uh, we've been asked for um, elaboration on two terms, uh, stewardship and moves management. Stewardship? Right. Uh, I guess we uh, can. Yeah. Sorry, Alan. Yeah. Um, Penny, are you happy if I talk a little sure, bit about absolutely. it? Sure, absolutely. Please do. The stewardship is, um, and we've done a whole section on this um, elsewhere, but uh, most people think of stewardship purely as how you treat donors after they have made a commitment to the school. So it's how you look after them, how you recognize them, how you thank them, and so on. Um, but stewardship is also part of the cultivation process because the stewardship process is about looking after people, being genuinely concerned with them, listening to their interests and their desires, and helping them to achieve it. But mostly we tend to focus on what happens once a gift has been committed and how we then follow that through afterwards. And with VU's management, it's about the cycle um, of fundraising from discovery through to evaluation, um, you move forward to cultivation, then you move towards making the ask, the confirmation of the ask, and then into the stewardship cycle. So for any major prospect, you should be able to say where that person is within that particular cycle. And when a gift officer is working with that uh, potential supporter, one of the things that the gift officer should be saying is when I next meet with Alan as a prospect, um, I'm going to try and see whether we can move from the cultivation stage where we're just having lots of nice conversations and finding out and telling him things about the school. Can I then move him to the next phase, which is to focus on a particular project and see where his interests might lie. So it's a, it's a way of making sure that we don't just get caught up in busyness and lots of nice cups of teas and meetings, but people I mean, we have to be very, uh, very frank about this. Our job as fundraisers is actually to try and get somebody to commit to make a donation to the school. So at some stage, we have to move the person to that position. And this is a means of actually helping to track it. And we can share various models of, of how that works as well. 
Okay, we've one more question that we're going to take before we finish up. And uh, by the way, Alan Vicky says she's very happy the question was answered in depth on the following slides. Oh, um, thanks, Vicky. <laughs> uh, Penny, this is one for you. Did you have a budget for a philanthropic consultancy when you were first setting up your development program? Also, how did you define achievable targets when your school was new to philanthropy? Wealth scan, feasibility study? A good question. Uh, yes, I did have some budget for philanthropic consultancy when we first set up our development program. I think because it was an entirely new leadership team, um, a relatively new board, um, new development team, new marketing team, the board decided that investing in philanthropic consultancy was a really great place to start. Um, my background coming from Halebury wasn't so much fundraising, it was more alumni relations. So I certainly appreciated the assistance of Martin Lundy um, in helping us set up our program. We did undertake a wealth scan, which um, I'm, I'm not sure I found I would probably do it different next time because I sort of sent our whole database out um, to this organisation and I just got so much data back, to be honest with you, I found it quite confusing to interpret and I'm not sure I really um, had any wins coming out of that. We definitely undertook a feasibility study in preparation for our capital campaign through Anne Badger, and that was fantastic in establishing what the current state was and how people were going to feel about embarking on um, embedding a culture of philanthropy at the school. And there were certain, certainly revealed a lot of areas that we needed to strengthen up before we went out. Um, and I also, one of the things I did when we were just starting up, which was cost effective as well, was I actually surveyed the entire community um, on their appetite for our, our new capital campaign and, and fundraising within the school in general. And I think overwhelmingly people were very supportive of um, embarking on this track. And I think they thought that for um, this, this particular school, to um, preserve it, to help it thrive. Um, and it's a pretty small community down here on the Mornington Peninsula and this school is very important to a lot um, of community members. And um, yeah, I didn't come up against much resistance at all. I had a feeling when we started our capital campaign, which is, is, was a catalyst for bringing me in, to be honest, was that um, a science centre was gonna be really popular with existing parents because they're, their children were going to really be the ones who are absolutely going to benefit from um, knocking down some terrible old facilities and, and having this amazing new centre. So I did a lot of research into our existing current parent database. And although I didn't know a lot about those community members, I was able to do enough research on them. I'm quite nosy by nature <laughs> to um, ascertain wealth levels. And um, one of the questions I asked in the survey when I sent it out to our community was, do you support other organisations philanthropically? And a lot of our existing community members did. So we were able to ascertain what our capital campaign target was through those avenues of research. And our target was assessed at 1.5 million and we actually came in at 1.4. So we were pretty close. Excellent. Um, guys, that's it. We will leave it there. Uh, if you've got any closing remarks, feel free to make them now. Otherwise, we will finish up. 
I'd just like to thank everybody for joining us and to thank Penny in particular for the wonderful work she uh, she put into bringing this together and particularly for sharing some of the details from her school. Uh, it's, it's very important for people to see real time, real life examples as well as some of the theoretical things that we do. So Penny, thank you very much and thank you to Educate Plus for putting on this opportunity for everybody. And thank I'd you. like to say a big thank you to Alan as well, uh, because coming into this, uh, looking into strategic planning, um, I really felt like I needed some assistance. And as I said earlier, that was the catalyst for this SIG. And Alan has been wonderful in, in helping me understand the, the steps that I've tried to share with you today. So thanks, Alan. Very lucky to have you my mentor. <laughs> Fantastic guys, thank you so much for uh, sharing your amazing knowledge with everybody and thank you everyone for attending and we're getting lots and lots of thank yous coming through on our message board there guys, so very much appreciated. Have a great day everyone. Thanks Sheila. See thank you all you soon. Have a great day. Bye everyone, stay Take well, care. stay safe. Absolutely.